0: Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by State Historian Emeritus Walt Woodward and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history.
1: And I'm Mary Donahue for Connecticut Explored. How did 15 Connecticut high school students find themselves in French World War I trenches and what were they doing there? Find out in today's episode. But before we go to our new episode, I need to ask our listeners for your help. The podcast is part of our 20 for 20 Innovation in Connecticut History series, and we'd like your feedback. Take our five-minute survey and get a free copy of Connecticut Explored magazine. You'll find the survey link at the top of the show notes for this episode wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. My guests today are Christine Pitsley, the Special Projects Director for the Connecticut State Library, and Katie Hitson, a Connecticut student who participated in the Trench Restoration in France when she was in high school. Pitsley has directed several award-winning World War I programs, including the Digging into History Trench Restoration Project, and the Remembering World War I Digitization Project, and has been recognized as a leader in the nation's World War I commemorative efforts. When the United States entered Europe's Great War, World War I, in 1917, Connecticut manufacturers provided the military with munitions, clothing, and other goods. In addition to the men and women who worked on the home front, roughly 63,000 state residents served in the U.S. or Allied forces. For those at the front lines in France, life was rough. As the war stalled at the battlefront, men dug huge earthen defensive trenches that became their battlefield homes. They experienced gas attacks, heard nonstop artillery barrages, and watched the daily aerial battles. Connecticut men also sheltered in limestone caves 30 feet below the ground level and encompassing over 100 acres with rooms and tunnels. Before my guests join the conversation, let's hear from some of these Connecticut soldiers taken from letters and diaries in the Connecticut State Library, published in an article written by Christine Pitsley for the winter 2020 issue of Connecticut Explored Magazine. In a letter to his mother printed on April 7, 1918, in the Hartford Current, Private Max Haley of Bloomfield wrote,
0: We passed through villages completely in ruins. And I mean by this, not a house left standing. Trees blown to pieces, roads demolished. Only a home for rats. As buildings are things of the past up in this war region, we were compelled to get acquainted with the cave dweller's life.
1: Dugouts were carved into the sides of hills and quarries cut deep underground in the chalk and limestone bedrock. Private William J. Scanlon of Newington saw distinct advantages in their subterranean barracks, writing to his parents on March 3rd, 1918.
0: From what we can learn from the Frenchmen, the caves were quarries, but not like ours at home. They are more like our mines. When you fit them up with electric lights and bunks arranged like those on a ship, they make great quarters. The best thing about them is they are absolutely shellproof, being a good many feet underground.
1: And this from Private Frederick W. Rowe from
0: Waterbury. This is a hell of a life living underground like rats burning candles all day.
1: Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. So, Christine, one of the reasons that the Connecticut State Library's World War I project has won several awards is that it was really a broadly conceived program that included a wide range of activities. Before we talk about brands. What were some of the other things you did around that World War I
2: anniversary? Oh my goodness. We started out with a digitization program. We piloted it way back in 2014 because the former state archivist Mark Jones had brought this box of glass plate negatives up to Ken Wiggins' office, who was state librarian at the time and said, you know, the commemoration is coming up and we really need to do something. Look at these glass plates we have. These are all from Hartford during World War One. And I was doing a lot of digitization at the work at the time. And, you know, so we decided we were going to digitize this collection. And it started me thinking about a, a photo I have of my uncle from Korea. It's he's in a T-shirt and getting a haircut from a Korean soldier. And I realized I know nothing about that picture. My uncle's gone. I couldn't ask him. And I started wondering how many other pictures were out there like that from World War One. So, you know, I wanted to tell a larger story with these glass plates. They can tell one piece of the story, but what was the rest of the story? So we did a couple pilot projects or pilot events where we invited the community to bring us their World War I stuff, their photos, their letters, whatever. I wasn't sure how, if anybody was going to come. Uh, and our very first event, a man named Howard Swanson who was 83 at the time and living in Plainville, called. He called me every week for three weeks to make sure that we were still going to have this event because he wanted to share his uncle's belongings. And, you know, the, the event showed up. It was a rainy Wednesday night in October. We were down at the Middletown Library Service Center And, you know, Mr. Swanson called me that morning just to make sure we were going to be there. And he brought down two boxes of his uncle's things and donated some of it to us. And seeing that, seeing how important it was for him to have his uncle's service remembered, kind of just assured me that this this was something worth pursuing. So in 2017, we did a few more events, and in 2017, we received a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and scheduled, I think, another 25 events around the state. We worked with libraries and museums and historical societies and community groups and American Legion posts and blanketed the state. And overall, I think we ran 46 events, including one in Rhode Island and one in Maine. We collected more than 450 individual stories of people that had served and more than 10,000 digital images. I still have people wanting to donate today. And so it was that project that just kind of like kicked everything else off. Um, It was the only project of its kind in the country as far as World War I commemorations went.
1: I think one of the great things now is with digitization is that people can share their photos or their letters and have it digitized so it's on the computer but not have to give you the actual item
2: yeah and that was the that was the really fun thing about doing this is that we were able to do it on site so people got to watch and people got to learn how to digitize their own family heirlooms things that had nothing to do with world war 1 um, we always had information about how to properly maintain your photos and how to digitize them. And yeah, we most of what we digitized, we gave right back. However, it did spur a lot of people to, to realize that they could digitize their family's collection and then give all of their children access to the digital images instead of having to figure out how to break up a collection. Um, and then in a lot of cases, those collections came to us, the physical collections were donated to State Library.
1: That is just great. And I know uh, I'm wrestling with, uh, as a family historian, digitizing my, my family photos. I've got to get myself uh, in gear on that. So you've got all these images and you've really, that outreach where you've touched people and explained to them how to properly care for their items or to donate them to the museum really is a, you know, a huge asset to the state. One of the more unusual things you were involved in was the uh, creation of an animated movie, which I think you can see on either, you know, I'm sure you can find on Netflix or Amazon. Tell
2: us a little bit about the Stubby movie and how you were involved in that. So as we went through this digitization project, I started learning more and more about Connecticut soldiers. And I learned about the 102nd Infantry, which were Connecticut's National Guard troops that served over in France. And once you start learning about them, you you stumble upon Sergeant Stubby, as he is often called, who was uh, a dog that was adopted by a New Britain soldier uh, while he was camped in New Haven prior to going over to France and smuggled over to France where he became a war hero. So I was very involved with the National World War I Commemoration Committee or Commission, I'm sorry and i heard through the grapevine that this group was working on an animated film and i was able to reach out through those channels and get producer and director and uh, jordan beck and next thing i know we are contributing historical resources and images and you know becoming part of the filmmaking process which was <laughs> not something i ever expected to do and then you know we started talking about well you really need to do a premiere of this here in Connecticut. Um, the national guard, the Connecticut national guard is still very much a fan of stubby. It is, it is the hundred mascot. They actually installed a statue of him and Robert Conroy in front of the adjutant general's office. And so I started working with my colleagues over at the national guard and we We did a premiere of the film in April of of, of 1918, April of 2018, where we invited all sorts of descendants and and current 102nd members and members of the public in the community uh, to share in this amazing, amazing film. Um, It was, uh, and it it was a great movie too. Um, It was... It told the story of our soldiers without being graphic, without being violent, um, and it. Children saw it one way, and adults saw it another. There may have been, uh, one or two generals that you know were were having allergy attacks, as they said, because their eyes were very watery while watching the film.
1: I've seen a picture from the Smithsonian Institution of Stubby in his, he's, what kind of dog is he? Is he some kind of a terrier or a bulldog? What is he?
2: He's he's supposedly a, a bull terrier. I think he's just kind of a mutt. With his little mutt face.
1: I've seen this picture of him uh, at the, from the Smithsonian where he's got a, almost like a little trench coat on and he has all his medals pinned on them. So And he looks very serious and somber in the in the photo. So it's great that his story was told. And since he was found in the The Yale Bowl. You can't get much more Connecticut than that. Yeah. So these are the kind of activities that I might, I won't say expect to find in a project like this, but be delighted to find in a project like this. But as far as I know, the State Library is still located in Hartford. How did you manage
2: to extend the project to France? So I really always have to credit George Goddard, who was the State Librarian in 1917 and 1918. Uh, Ken Wigan used to like to joke that George was a hoarder. He collected everything he could possibly find on World War One. Every record, we used to joke that he'd stand, stood at the docks waiting for the soldiers to get off the boat, asking them to give him their stuff. Uh, so that resulted in one of the largest collections of World War One material in the country. So, as an extension of that, and my work with the 102nd Infantry and this battle that was the quintessential battle for Connecticut boys at Seshprey on April 20th, 1918. I went over there to commemorate the 100th anniversary of that battle. So I was Connecticut's representative. The town held the ceremony and there were local and French national dignitaries there. And I realized how much Seshprey remembers Connecticut. We may not remember Seshprey as much, but Sashprey's never forgotten Connecticut. And there's a fountain right in the center of the village from the people of Connecticut with a plaque talking about our friendship. So, you know, Stubby had just come out. I headed over to France and I was there for this commemoration and saw that over the past 20 years, French and German students have been restoring German trenches, the, the very trenches that the Germans shelled the Connecticut boys from in 1918. And so the mayor, Gerard André, and I were kind of joking around on what we could do to continue that bond of friendship that had been formed 100 years prior. And, you know, one of us, we both argue it, which one of us it was, um, had the idea of restoring the trenches and having Connecticut students come over and do that. And I I came home and I talked to Ken about it and he said, go for it. It was, it was an extension of sort of our mission, which is preserving Connecticut history. We preserved it just in a little bit of a different way. And most importantly, we brought students into it. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the kids talked about prior to us going over that it was one thing to learn history from a book, but when you're standing in the trenches, it's a very, very different experience. And so a lot of these kids that that I took over weren't necessarily interested in history. Some of them were total history nuts, but a lot of them weren't. They were interested in animation or engineering or, you know, just French culture in general. And to see them come back with an understanding of what happened there and the relevance in their lives today was a significant event for us. It was a a true preservation of history. We'll be back in a minute with our guest. I'm Kathy Hermes, the new publisher of Connecticut Explored. If you're enjoying our Grading the Nutmeg podcasts, I feel sure you'll love our print magazine with its articles, photo essays, and all the news about upcoming exhibits, history-related events, and historic places to visit subscribe now at ctexplored.org.
0: You like podcasts about Connecticut history? Well, here's another one for you to check out. Amazing Tales from Off and On, Connecticut's Beaten Path. Every Thursday, a new 20-minute story. And all you have to do is search for Amazing Tales with Mike Allen, and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoying this episode? Please fill out our survey. Find it in the show notes.
1: Katie, let me bring you into the conversation. Katie, what year in high
3: school were you when you went on this trip? I was a junior going into my senior year. What drew you to the project? Really the French culture. My French teacher had spoken about this trip. She presented us the PowerPoint and she said, you should apply. And and myself and one other Simsbury kid applied and we got in. And it was so fantastic. It was really the French culture that, that had driven me to the trip. I liked history too, but it was French. And then the trip ended up, I guess, kind of like Christine was saying, bringing that love of history to me.
1: So now what was an average day like? What were your activities? Were were these the limestone caves or were these earthen mounds or trenches?
3: We were in the trenches. So for we had eight days of working in the trenches where we would wake up and eat breakfast. We were lodging in former World War I lodgements, which was so interesting. And so we would wake up, have breakfast, and then take a bus down to the trenches where we would just take our tools and just get started, really. Our first day, we did a lot of removal of leaves and branches but then it got into really digging and and restoring the trenches. So we would be digging down because the dirt had moved and resettled so that the trenches weren't as deep as they had originally been. So we had to dig those deeper. And we ended up making facades and restoring a shelter. So we would work, 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 and then have lunch at around noon. And then work, 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 work until dinner time where we would go back and then the girls and boys would take turns cleaning up after dinner. We always had fun dinners. And then we would hang out really and just enjoy. The French would enjoy the Americans and the Americans would enjoy the French. We all just would intermingle and spend all of our social time together.
1: Now, what kind of experts did you work under? What kind of supervisors
3: did you have for this project? Well, we had historians, which was very important because whenever we would find artifacts we would go up we had this man named red and he was i don't know his exact job title but (laughs) a finder i guess he would find everything they called him red because he would find things that were red and rusty rusty was another one of the names that he had (laughs) and um so he was one of our like most important team leaders i think he also had a way of having all of us connected he spoke french and english and dutch and german So he could talk to everyone and he was really helpful. We also had, sorry, I'm with the baby. That's the happy squealing you hear. Um, We also had the bomb squad, which would come in and make sure that we were safe and that everything was being properly taken care of.
1: And then Katie, so what, uh, so you were digging the trenches out to help stabilize them. Is that what you think is gonna help save
3: them in the future? Well, so in the future, they're going to really need to be restored often. I, I actually went back this past summer and was able to go back into the trenches with another one of the French students. And we re cleared it and we just threw out some branches, you know, like leaves fall, branches fall. There's wind. So naturally, the earth will resettle and will reclaim the trenches. So we really have to keep up the restoration process which wasn't that hard. It it took about an hour to get them pretty much back to where they had been when we left in 2019, which was really great. But yeah, our deep digging and the facade will hopefully help to keep it stable in the future.
1: And then Katie, why do you think this is important? What What feeling did you walk away with?
3: Well, I walked away with just an appreciation for the history and the culture, but also I felt like I was able to bring it back home. And it's and it's always back with me. Whatever we did is always with me. Not just because I took, you know, some artifacts home and some memories and some pictures, but the we had a project before we went. So it was 15 Connecticut kids and we each had to study a soldier from our hometown who fought in the Sespre area, which, you know, at first, it was just a homework assignment. But my guy, the guy that I studied, George Hall, he's just connected to my life in every possible way. Even the other day, I took the boy I nanny to a park. There was a bench and on the bench was a memorial for someone else with the last name Hall. And so I looked it up and it was, you know, my George Hall's great nephew. Everyone, Everyone's just connected all the time. And so I loved, then I got to bring my little piece of history and tell my little boy about, you know, he's three, So I couldn't tell him everything about the war, but I was able to kind of explain and show him pictures. And I think having the connection to our towns was really what brought it home. And it's just with me every day. I really think that this trip is just always going to be with me.
1: Katie, I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Christine, another part of the story that you told in a photo essay in Connecticut Explored was about the caves and things you could see that were remnants from Connecticut soldiers in these limestone caves. Tell us a little bit about the caves.
2: So that trip that I took in 2018, I was able to visit the Chemin de Dam area, which was kind of the first really frontline area that those Connecticut troops at the 102nd visited. Uh, The New England troops were the only American troops really to spend time up in this area. and there were these limestone quarries all over the area that had been used, some of them, for centuries. And that became the safest place to be up in that area. Uh, the Chemin de Dame had been the front line since the very beginning of the war in, in 1914. And these caves, the whole series of them, had been occupied by French and German soldiers pretty much the entire war. And so between February and March, Connecticut soldiers... Lived in this one particular cave in Froidmont that held about ten thousand men. There was electricity running, and I had the opportunity to visit the cave. And it was two ladders going straight down into the ground, and it was humbling. It was you could sense almost how terrifying it must have been for a young farm boy from Connecticut who had never even dreamed of this kind of experience, how it must have been to him. The cave is beautifully preserved. There's a lot of passageways that have collapsed, but Gilles, the gentleman who takes care of the cave, has done a lot to really try and preserve what's there. So you can see bottles as they were left, little niches where candles were, and All over the walls are carvings and initials kind of drawn on the ceiling with the smoke from a candle of Connecticut soldiers. And that was, it was humbling to me in particular because my great uncle was in that very cave. He was a cook in that very cave. So I was walking on ground that, you know, he had walked on and looking forward, we get to visit there Next spring, um, we're actually doing a battlefield tour of all of the places that the 102nd were during the war. Yeah, because you wrote it's
1: a hundred acres of rooms and tu- in these tunnels that are more than thirty feet below ground. That is yep. two ladders worth to get down there. So now you've you've got all this great experience and you've collected all this material. What uh, kinds of things do you expect the State Library to be able to do with all these oral histories, new photographs, and new items?
2: So we are still working on all of the material we collected during those digitization days. Um, it, it's I'm one person, and I get pulled in a lot of different directions, so I am still plugging away. Someday, all of that content will be up online in the Connecticut Digital Archive. And you know, we continue to grow that collection. And you know, we continue to build our friendship with the community of Sechepre and France. And we're we're doing so again next summer when we bring those French students from the area around Sechepre here to Connecticut. And we are looking at a a different French Connecticut connection uh, through the lens of the Revolutionary War and the Comte de Rochambeau. So we will be doing an archaeological excavation of one of Rochambeau's encampments with 15 French students. And we're going to be, we are currently recruiting another 15 Connecticut high school students. And we're going to be exploring the connection between, you know, how the French viewed Connecticut 250 years ago.
1: Where can listeners get more information
2: about your World War I project? Uh, We have a website. It's ctinworldwar1.org. Uh, I am updating it again. It kind of lay fallow for a while, uh, but there's, there's a ton of information on the Digging into History project, all of the oral history, which which I do want to mention because I think it's the most underrated project that we did. Uh, we worked with the Southern Connecticut State University Journalism Department for three semesters where their capstone students would do an oral history interview with one of the people who came into our digitization days. We would identify people who had great stories, who really knew their soldier. And these students would do these oral history interviews and produce a two or three minute kind of short video about the person and their experience. And, you know, these students did just amazing work. And all of those can be found on our website as well and on a YouTube channel. And we are we are working on getting our social media back up and, and running. It gets a little overwhelming sometimes. Um, so there's there's a lot of different channels you can find us.
1: So it's so important that you drew in students from both high school and college to get immersed in this project and also use new technology to preserve old stories, old artifacts, old letters, old photographs. Thank you so much for being our guest today.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you to
1: my guests, Christine Pitsley and Katie Hitman. Join Connecticut Explored's 20th anniversary celebration by subscribing at ctexplored.org slash subscribe. This is Mary Donahue for Grading the Nutmeg.